When you're the president of the United States, I guess you have to do an interview every now and then. Joe should not be speaking in public. A disaster again. He went on the fake news today. They protected him, uh, but we could still see it. We could still see the dishonesty, the incompetence, the feebleness. Uh, really bad. And a major corporation gave him this opportunity. They have him on. Big live interview. And you, we all know that Hunter Biden, right, is under investigation. They have a crazy deal that's already been worked out. Shouldn't there be a question about the Department of Justice and what just happened? In a way, there was. To really focus on Trump and his innermost circle's role in the January 6th coup plot. You've awarded medals to Harry Dunn and Officer Fanon and the others. Do they deserve to know why it took the Justice Department a year to open an investigation into the person that incited the insurrection? That's it. January 6th, DOJ. They should have started the investigation earlier. What about the five-year investigation into Hunter Biden? What about the allegations of, uh, that you were there on the couch with Hunter as he was shaking down the Chinese? The House Oversight Committee, they just figured this out. Care to comment, Mr. President? No, that's okay, because Joe, Hunter, protected by corporate America. NBC, Comcast, right? These are major, multinational, huge conglomerates. And they just gave the president of the United States a pass. What's happening here? This is like Twilight Zone territory. But anyway, I did glean some interesting things from this interview, despite their efforts. Take a look. I was teaching at the University of Pennsylvania, and I had a significant budget to hire a lot of people for the Biden democracy up there, from Tony Blinken and others who came along. He starts mumbling real quick. Oh, boy, why did I mention the Biden Penn Center where all the classified documents were? With how much money? I was well-funded. $77 million came from China from January 2014 to June of 2020, huh? How about that? <laughs> what were they buying, huh? Next, please. And in that sense, it is, uh, it is not as embracing of, of all what I think the, con the Constitution says, we hold these truths to be self All men and women are created equal, endowed by their creator. It's the uniqueness of America. We never fully lived up to it. We never walked away from it. Uh, the thing is, that's what the Declaration of Independence says, not the Constitution. We have the Constitution, Declaration of Independence. They are two separate documents to serve two separate purposes. When you are the head of state, this country, you're supposed to know that stuff. You're supposed to leave it to me to correct him. Wow. Uh, and then there was this. This court seems to say that, no, that's not always the case. The idea there's no right of privacy in the Constitution, giving states power that we fought a war over in 1960. Yeah, he said it, 1960. He's 100 years off. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's amazing. That's a question they often, you know, American school children don't know history. Most don't know within 50 years what the Civil War, when the Civil War was fought. How about him? And then, oh, I mentioned the dishonesty. Yeah, these are horrible, sick lies. When the president of the United States, when that young woman was killed, a bystander. Heather Hoyer, yeah. Yeah, and I talked to her mom. And he was asked, can you, what's happened down there? He said, there are very good people on both sides. Yeah. Very good people on both yeah. sides. Well, John Kelly's face told it all, right? Oh. 
his head in his hands. Oh, I, but, I, but it did. But, yeah. think, but think about what that said. <laughs> She's still laughing, kind of flirting more on her in a moment. This is a lie. This is the Charlottesville lie. He based his entire campaign on this. He based, I guess you could say, his entire presidency on a lie. The name is Heather Heyer, by the way. That's the young woman who was killed, not Hoyer. Anyway, this is what President Trump actually said. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. You had people very good on both sides. Now, he explicitly said not the white nationalists. Very good people on both sides. That means, you know what? You can be a very good person in America and be totally opposed to Confederate monuments. You can also be a very good person and say, you know what? This is part of our history and it should be preserved. That's a legitimate mainstream point of view. Both are. And Joe Biden lied in an effort to get power for himself. Now, did you notice the interviewer there just kind of, I mean, it was really flirtatious. This is very exciting for us. Exciting for me. <laughs> you said today in another party, in yes. Another, well, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> it's okay. It's You're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> no, 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 but, but it, it is. The I optimist could hope so, right? John Kelly's face told it all, right? Oh. His <laughs> head in his hands. No, I, but, I, but it did, but yeah. yeah but. And then expanding that, that cadre to 40 countries. Yeah. <laughs> Finish your thought, Joe. That's Nicole Wallace, veteran of the George W. Bush White House, where her specialty, I believe, was and is making powerful men feel even more powerful. It's all about power. This individual um, has condemned the overturning of Roe v. Wade. She is holding a funeral for the death of affirmative action in colleges. They don't care about principle. It's all about power. And I think Joe thought this was a podcast at one point. Watch. I said I'd be a president for every American, whether they voted for me or not. Well, and, and the ones that didn't vote for your bills, but run on them. That's, That's right. <laughs> Mr. President, thank you. Thank you. Thank you Nicole, very much. I appreciate it's great it. to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. It's a very exciting day around here. Um, we'll have reaction. Uh, I've had first graders on this show who know to wait until the commercial break to get up and leave the room. Joe doesn't seem to know that. Wow. Anyway, other than that, other than those things, a great interview. Now this. This decision, let us be clear, not be deceived. It's, it's an attack on black people. What you're doing is you are limiting people's access to the American dream. This just shows the challenge facing our society. The legacy of centuries of racial discrimination is real. It is still with us. Wow. Talking about the uh, affirmative action decision, you heard about it by now. I think it's great. Uh, there will be some who will have to study harder to get into these elite institutions. That's not particularly popular with certain groups, but it passed six to three. And the media freakout has been pretty amazing. And to some groups, rather insulting. Take a look at this, how the New York Times characterized it all. Uh, this key line at the end, they really bemoan this. The decision will all but ensure that elite institutions become whiter and more Asian and less black and Latino. Whiter is a problem. More Asian, less black. Gosh, I hate looking at the world this way, don't you? Um, but the media, if you happen to be white on television, uh, you really, really, really had to make it out that you were offended by all of this. 
specifically to you, sir, the African-American community in this country. You probably anticipated this was going to be a possibility, this ruling overturning affirmative action by the Supreme Court today. What has gone through your mind in terms of how you believe this will affect specifically the African-American community? Well, I think uh, that this is tantamount to sticking a dagger in our back. Yeah, that's Al Sharpton, who organized a boycott of Korean grocery stores in Brooklyn, this city, in the 1980s. He was resentful of their success. He's one of the most racist people you'll meet. And here he is on the fake news talking about uh, these issues. But it was the indignation of uh, a lot of the hosts today that was a little over the top. A lot of privileged kids are able to pay for tutors, tutoring, focusing on that kind of thing. Being able to afford tutoring so that you get a, a more comprehensive approach to your testing and will do better on those tests. If now applications into schools will be further dependent on those than before. That is an uneven playing field right there. And that's one incremental aspect. Just one. No more tutors. No more tutors for anybody. Uh, I have to hand it to Kenny Shu. He's a great guy. He's been on this case for a long time. He's from Color Us United. This great advocacy group points out that Asians have been getting the short end of the stick in all of this for a long time, and they certainly don't deserve that. I could point to race-based admissions as the reason why Asian Americans are being discriminated against right now. I mean, if you're an Asian American, you had to score 273 points higher on the SAT to have the same chance of admission as a black person to Harvard. Is that fair? I understand that people's lives are improved by getting into an Ivy League university, but that opportunity should be made available to people of every race, not just one. Do you worry about what this is going to do to the population now as these schools struggle to try and have a diverse student body? I don't understand why you think they're struggling. Do you not consider Asian Americans diverse? Of I consider Asian Americans diverse. Of course, that's what I'm okay. saying. When you look then at they some have of these a diverse student body. Good for you, Kenny Shu. Um, the Obamas had reaction. Uh, let's see. Michelle Obama put out a statement, and uh, yeah, they're trying to exploit this. Today, my heart breaks for any young person out there who's wondering what their future holds and what kind of chances will be open to them. That's right. Discourage them. Try to make them scared. And while I know the strength and grit that lies inside kids who had always had to sweat a little more to climb the same ladders, I hope and pray that the rest of us are willing to sweat a little too. All right. I'd like to go back to 2004. Remember that speech, that big speech that Barack Obama gave where he wanted people to like him and he wasn't really his honest self or, I don't know, his a version of himself. He said something that still I find pretty fascinating. And if it's true, and it probably is, this is the problem that needs to be addressed in America. Go into any inner city neighborhood and folks will tell you that government alone can't teach our kids to learn. They know that parents have to teach, that children can't achieve unless we raise their expectations and turn off the television sets and eradicate the slander that says a black youth with a book is acting white. They know those things. Did, did you hear that? A black kid with a, with a book is acting white? He said that. Is that a, a black youth with a book is acting white? Well, 
I haven't heard this addressed. Have you? That's 2004, less than 20 years ago. Nothing has been done to eradicate this horrible slur. I think that's a big problem that no one's talking about. At one point, he had the bravery to, uh, to mention it. He won't even do that, let alone do anything to fix it. So I don't like affirmative action. I think we should go back, and apparently we will, to grades, extracurricular activities, maybe even a standardized test. And it shouldn't be, ba it shouldn't be based on what you look like, and it shouldn't be based on who your father is. You got that? The Biden family? Hunter Biden went to Yale Law School. Guess what? Bill Clinton made a phone call to the dean that started the process that got Hunter into Yale Law School. Let's do away with that, please. I'll be right back with more on Hunter. He loves the Constitution. He fights for what's right. He hates the bad guys. He's a freedom warrior. He's your freedom warrior. Watch Carl Higby every weekday on Newsmax. I was introduced to Joe Biden by Jim Biden and Hunter Biden. At, and at my approximately hour-long meeting with Joe that night, we discussed the Biden's history, the Biden's family business plans with the Chinese, with which he was plainly familiar, at least at a high level. On numerous occasions, it was made clear to me that Joe Biden's involvement was not to be mentioned in writing, but only face to face. Tony Bobolinsky, his story has not been debunked because it's true. And reportedly, well, he was interested in talking to the U.S. attorney in Delaware investigating Hunter Biden. If I were that guy, I'd want to talk to Tony Bobolinsky. But he wasn't interested in talking to Tony. Why is that? How is it that the Bidens are untouchable? I have a feeling their, their luck is about to run out, but uh, very strange. What is it about these people? Uh, Hunter may have had a bit of his comeuppance today. Just a taste. John Paul Mac Isaac, the guy who, uh, well, Hunter brought his computer to his computer store, this guy's computer store, to be repaired. Uh, and then his life fell apart after he did the right thing. He noticed that there was really suspicious material on that computer uh, after, oh, by the way, Hunter failed to claim it. So he called the FBI. What happened next? Uh, at one point, John Paul MacIsaac actually lost everything, it seemed like. I came out from the shadows because I was, again, scared. I didn't want to lose my business. I didn't want to be chased from my home. I, didn't want, I wanted to have nobody know I existed. But I wanted the truth to get out. I had to close because I just, it was getting too dangerous. Um, you know, when, when you start to get death threats, there were some interactions with some people that were not coming to my shop for service. They were coming to do me harm. Amazing man. He's actually suing Hunter. And Hunter was deposed today, has a lot to answer for. This man has been through so much. We'll see what happens. In the meantime, the congressional investigations, inquiries continue. And Congressman Comer, Republican, chair of the House Oversight Committee, there is so much money in play here. We have six specific policy decisions, four of which were made while Joe Biden was president uh, early on, that we can't come to any other conclusion as to why these decisions were made other than the fact that this president is compromised. I'm confident it'll be at least 17 million, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it got to close to 30 million dollars. 
So we're, we're talking about some, some real money here. The transactions could exceed 40 million plus, but a lot of times in these shell companies, they had other owners of the shell companies so that they could disguise the, the revenue and, and hide the revenue from either the IRS or the federal authorities or, or whomever. Wow. That's a lot of money. And the policy stuff they're looking at. I've always been curious about that China balloon. Why do we let it fly all the way across America before shooting it down? Once it was done with its mission, then America shot it down. That was strange. Also, the Trump administration had something called the China Initiative. It was to essentially keep a control on technologies being developed on university campuses, make sure that Chinese nationals were not stealing anything. It was unfairly labeled as a racist program. Um, Joe Biden got rid of this thing immediately upon taking office. And what else did he do for the Chinese? Uh, well, it's still being looked into. Uh, the Riddler apparently might be on the case. Don't forget the text messages. These should be the most famous messages in the world right now. Unless you watch this show and a handful of others, you don't know about them, but let's take a look, shall we? They're important. Hunter Biden shaking down, it looks like, some Chinese Communist Party official who runs a huge business. One more time. We got to go through these, folks. It's important. I am sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Sounds like a collections agency. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand. And now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman... Mm -hmm. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows, this is Joe Biden, and my ability to forever hold a grudge, geez, that you will regret not following my direction. Wow. Or else I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. They wanted $10 million. This isn't the only message. We have the WhatsApp message from uh, a few days later. He's angry. I think it's somebody else at this point. Let's go ahead and take a look. He only got $5 million instead of the $10 million. This move to $5 million is completely new to me and is not acceptable, obviously. I can make $5 million at any law firm in America. If you think it's about money, it's not. It's always about money if you say it's not about money. The Bidens are the best I know at doing exactly what the chairman wants from this partnership. The Bidens don't know how to do anything I guess, other than make phone calls and introduce people and change policy for our enemies, they don't know how to build anything. Um, they're, yeah, this looks awfully, awfully illegal. And they're acting kind of guilty. Were you involved? No. The anger. That, look, it's not admissible in court. But I think it's a sign that uh, they're nervous. I want to show you something. I do believe, and if you watch this show, you know that Donald Trump is innocent of what they've accused him of. Something very interesting about his reaction to the allegations and Joe's reactions to the allegations against him. Watch. We did nothing wrong. This is a whole hoax. This is just like the Russia, Russia, Russia deal. This is like the fake dossier. But here's what I know. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. 
You should be asking him the question. Why did you take those documents with you when you left the White House? I had every right to under the Presidential Records Act. You have the Presidential Records Act. I was there and I took what I took and it gets declassified. That's not true. You're saying things you do not know what you're talking about. No one said that. Who said that? All I know is this. Everything I did was right. We have the Presidential Records Act, which I abided by 100%. I have the right to declassify as president. Were you no. Isn't that interesting? What a contrast, right? Wow. I think our guy is innocent. I think their guy is guilty. And so is his son and many, many family members. Possibly. That's my hunch. We'll see if it's established. What they did, I know this, is certainly unethical. And you can see it right here. They've been doing this for years. I want to show you something. This is all the way back in the early aughts, 2005 or so. Joe Biden has a, um, a political dinner in South Carolina. He's already been in the United States Senate for like 35 years or so. Why does he bring Hunter Biden to South Carolina on a Friday night? Now, Hunter's married at this point. He's got kids. He goes with his dad. Is this just a buddy-buddy, uh, you know, father-son getaway? No. They're working. They're working this crowd. They're working the room, I believe, for money. Tell me what you think. Very important. That's it's a rough year the way they district. They play hardball, don't they? See how, see how Hunter is just staring at them, right? Monitoring all the people that he's talking to. Why would he be doing that? I think we're going to have the answer here in a moment. Monitoring his father's movements and who he's talking to. Next clip, please. All right. Glad handing. Everything's fine. Now they're going to start talking business. I don't know, man. No, it's not sweet. It's true. Have you ever seen his mom? You look like... Next clip, please. Well, maybe you can work something out, man. Yeah, yeah. That's, right. yeah that's what we'll do. Well, Hunter was just telling well, about his firm in Washington. Yeah. Yeah. You have a car, I do. I, I don't, but I'll give you my... Uh, well, let me give you my Yeah, call. and then I'll, I'll give I, I gave them yeah. all away. Okay. Yeah. The, um, well, that was a wonderful speech. Thank you, That was Bo who wrote that. Are you, you're there from the core of what I wrote there. Your dad, I thought... See what happened? Joe, the politician, keeps schmoozing. Hunter goes with that guy who may want something done, and they talk. That's fascinating. That's how I think it's been done for many, many years. And it's sad. It's really sad. I'll be right back. Hey, it's Tony Marino, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast, your 20-minute daily news update. I have to tell you how the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier is making my life Eden better. It uses proven oxy technology that quickly destroys viruses, odors, and mold pretty much anywhere in your home and fast. It's only about the size of your hand, so you can plug it in anywhere. Behind a sofa, behind a bed, 
quickly eliminates odors from trash cans, litter boxes, cigarette smoke, cigar smoke, or whatever. Gone. I have one in the kitchen, another in the bedroom. The thunderstorm sends out O3 molecules which destroy odors, viruses, and mold with air so pure you can smell it. And we are loving our Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifiers. Right now, you can save $200 on an Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack and start enjoying your whole home again. Get three units for under 200 bucks. Put one anywhere you need clean, fresh air. And if you travel, take it with you for hotel rooms. Simply go to EdenPureDeals.com and put in discount code GREG to save $200. That's Eden, E-D-E-N, PureDeals.com, discount code GREG, and shipping is free. That is hero, former postal worker, Gerald Groff. Uh, he was a great postal worker. He's also a man of faith. And it was very important to him that he attend church service on Sundays. His boss at the post office said, can't do it, can't do it. And ultimately, he had to leave. Well, he decided to sue. And guess what? It went all the way to the Supreme Court. And guess what? He won nine to zero. Nine to zero. And this just happened today. Gerald Groff joins us, the former, maybe future, postal worker. Welcome back, sir. And Hiram Sasser, the executive general counsel at the First Liberty Institute. Congratulations. Nine to zero. Wow. How do you feel? It's a wonderful moment for religious freedom in this country. It feels great. All right. Congratulations. Were you and Hiram, were you expecting nine to zero? Well, we knew certainly it was a possibility. I mean, nobody thought... Uh, that this precedent on the books for 50 years, TWA versus Hardison, it properly interpreted uh, the, the right uh, to religious accommodation in the workplace that Congress put in place, you know, 50 years ago. But uh, no, the court had never really addressed it. And so, but I, I just think we all felt like, no, who could support a misinterpretation of a statute like that and so we, we really thought it was a possibility we might get nine justices, and we did. It was fantastic. And I understand, Gerald, you're a Christian, but there are a lot of folks from other faiths who supported you, who were rooting for you, who wanted to win, who faced similar challenges themselves. Yeah, that's right. We had uh, a very diverse group of people who were asking for religious protection. It was a big moment when Justice Alito held up the briefs in the court on the argument day and just, you know, showed that there's so many people who, who need this protection, need this freedom to be upheld. And it was today. It was a wonderful day. Well, he wrote for the majority, which the majority was everybody. And uh, I want to put up uh, a portion of his ruling. Let's see here. Uh, the court thinks it is enough to say that what an employer must show is that the burden of granting an accommodation would result in substantial increased costs in relation to the conduct of its particular business. Uh, we hold that showing more than a de minimis cost, as that phrase is used in common parlance, does not suffice to establish undue hardship under Title VII. All right, uh, Hiram, what did I just read? <laughs> well, what you basically read is that for 50 years, the rule was if you, ha if you needed a religious accommodation, if there's something that your corporation you're working for or the government you're working for wanted you to go along with that violated your, your religious beliefs, uh, they could pretty much force you to do that or fire you if you wouldn't. Uh, and all they had to do is show that, well, it would be a minor inconvenience to accommodate you. But now 
the people of faith uh, are able to come out of the shadows in corporate America, and they can no longer be kind of pushed around by these HR departments. So when the companies try to do something that uh, violates the religious beliefs of these workers, they don't have to go along with that. And they have a lot, a lot of power now to be able to say, look, unless you can show this is going to really be a big deal to you, you need to grant my religious accommodation. And the post office, for crying out loud, it's huge. It's huge. I know there's an increase in deliveries, but they could have made something. I mean, I, I, well, anyway, they are now. Uh, but let me ask you, you know, you won. But what, what are you seeking? Are you seeking financial? Are you seeking your job back? Uh, and, and what will you get now, Gerald? Uh, I'm not sure exactly how it's all going to turn out. I mean, the, the post office may be willing to offer me my job back. We'll have to take a look at that. I've moved on to delivering the mail for a local uh, retirement home, which has over 3,300 staff and residents. So I really am in the same, you know, line of work, uh, delivering the mail. It's something I enjoy doing. And so uh, I really just have to see how things turn out and where we go from here. Well, let me ask you, Hiram. I mean, I'd like to see you both make some cash here. It seems like you're <laughs> entitled. I mean, I'm sorry, you won nine to zero. He got fired, wrongfully terminated. Uh, what's up? Well, I mean, uh, under Title Seven, you can either get your job back uh, or you can get your job back plus uh, damages for whatever income that you've lost. Or you can end up just getting uh, damages for uh, any kind of lost income and going forward. And plus, they have to pay attorney's fees, too. So it's uh, it's going to be something quite significant. But hopefully, uh, as with most of these cases at the Supreme Court, uh, we have a tendency to resolve them afterwards because the handwriting's on the wall. And there's no sense in going through lots of litigation to just for them to now lose. Well, this is an amazing moment. Nine to zero. Wow. Um Gerald, anything else you'd like to share? And um, you are a devoted Christian, and um, you go to church every Sunday. I like to say, I think God was on your side, or you are on God's side. Did you feel the presence of God during this struggle? Yeah, absolutely. I remember the day of the arguments in court, and just really being moved by you know the presence of the Lord in the, there in, in the inner sanctum of the Supreme Court. It was a very special moment to be representing the Lord in that situation with my name on the, the brief and everything. Uh, I feel privileged to be a part of history, to have my name on this, but really what it's all about is the glory of God. And that's my heart on the whole thing. I, I did this and saw it the whole way through the Supreme Court because my desire was to keep this from happening to somebody else of faith. And uh, we did that today. That's amazing. And actually, if you don't mind, can I ask you one thing? Because for some people, actually going to church on Sunday is a bit of a burden. They don't want to go. They make excuses or they haven't been in a long time or, you know. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the benefits of your faith and your church attendance? Sure. Well, the Lord's Day, which is what Sunday is all about for me, is about um, the, the accomplished work of Christ. And, you know, we know from the Easter story that he died on the cross, and he overcame sin, but he also rose again from the grave on Easter Sunday. And uh, when you think about what that represents for people of the Christian faith, that um, it's the accomplished work of Christ, that he overcame sin and he overcame death, and those who believe in him have the opportunity to to give their life to him as he gave his life for us. And so the, day, the, the Lord's Day is about honoring that, that accomplished work of Christ, and keeping it always in the forefront of our mind that we worship and honor God. And so for me, it's about setting aside a day that's unique and holy to bless God as he has blessed me and uh, to make sure that I keep him always first and foremost in my life. 
Gerald Groff, we thank you very much. Congratulations and congratulations to you, Hiram Sasser, the Executive General Counsel at the First Liberty Institute. And uh, you had a lot of folks on your side, and not just Christians, by the way, many amicus briefs from, from all over the spectrum. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll be right back. You're on the go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Hey guys, it's Carson. Imagine this. In the dead of night, you're lying in bed. Suddenly you hear something go bump. What's your next move? Well, you reach for the ultimate solution. The new MC14 T tip-up pistol from EAA Corp and Gerson. This game-changing firearm is perfect for those with limited hand strength disabilities or anyone seeking a comfortable and user-friendly alternative. Picture this. The MC-14T features an ingenious tip-up barrel design, making loading and unloading a breeze. Say goodbye to struggles while racking a slide. Just load the tip-up barrel, lock it back, and you're ready to fire. That is pretty ingenious, actually. The MC-14T is chambered in 380 ACP boasting a 13-plus round capacity. With its reliable stopping power and compact size, it's an excellent choice for personal defense, complete with accessory rail and ambidextrous safeties. Experience a new level of convenience, available with all EAA Corp. distributors, starting at an incredibly affordable MSRP of just $498. Don't miss out on this game-changing firearm. Visit eaacorp.com today. eaacorp.com. Were you watching TV at all today? Uh, they were in major meltdown mode. I could not figure it out. Seems so disproportionate. This decision from the Supreme Court that gets rid of affirmative action, I actually think it helps America. It helps communities of color. Let's take a look at the uh, fallout or breakdown six to three uh, in this affirmative action ruling, getting rid of it essentially for higher education. Justice Thomas writing for the majority. Uh, let's see here. The court sees the university's admissions policies for what they are, rudderless race-based preferences designed to ensure a particular racial mix in their entering classes. Those policies fly in the face of our colorblind constitution and our nation's equality ideal. In short, they are plainly and boldly unconstitutional. Um, well, Chen Kwok has been following this very closely. He is the co-president of Place NYC. That stands for Parent Leaders for Accelerated Curriculum and Education. Asian Americans, Asian students were particularly hurt by these affirmative action policies. Uh, Chen Kwok, welcome. What do you think of today's ruling? Hi, uh, Greg. <clears throat> yes, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I really am uh, in support of the decision, and we're very thankful as ramifications for my own two children. One is in um, high school, and one is a rising uh, middle schooler. And also for all the, the parents uh, of our community in New York City, who have fought for merit-based and accelerated and rigorous education for all students and, uh, and opposing uh, different guises of racial discrimination, whether it's a personality uh, test, personality rating, or lotteries. And we also stand with other districts around the country uh, and other schools, such as Thomas Jefferson uh, High School of Science and Technology, which had, uh, had their entrance exam 
rolled back for racial preferences in, in San Francisco, Lowell School also was, were, had their admissions um, you know, uh, policy rolled back to be uh, based on lottery instead of by merit. And it really damages the, you know, Afri you know American, um, Asian American opportunities. Uh -huh. And also it doesn't really serve the target, uh, you know, the, the, the group that it purports to help because, you know, it, it's, you know, having kids enter in uh, not through merit, but, but through special preferences, which is unfair for everyone. Yeah. Um, by the way, I don't think there's any real secret here. Um, Kenny Shu has been on this show. This has been studied. Asian Americans, Asian students tend to do better than almost any other ethnic group. I think all ethnic groups. And according to him, the big secret is they're studying more on average. They work harder. Um, and that shouldn't be penalized. And by the way, what do you think of what I just said? I, the data substantiates that. Some people think it's a stereotype, whatever, but um, I think it's the truth. I think the, there is truth that you know, those who uh, will you know, spend more time with academics, focusing on that and using whatever resources they have, even though they're low income, uh, which is the case in a lot of uh, families in New York City who go to the specialized high schools, first-generation immigrant, especially Asian families, uh, whose parents don't have any other discretionary income uh, to spend on entertainment or trips. They spend it all on education. But for those who do that, and I think, you know, this kind of behavior is prevalent in all groups, uh, and we need to support those and, and make that the model behavior uh, so that we can help more kids uh, do well and do better in, in education, and not just at high school or in college. It's really too late by then. Mm. We really emphasize the early years of education where opportunities for rigorous uh, and, and good education start at the youngest ages so that uh, the, the good habits, the study habits are, are started then, and the opportunities are there regardless of your zip code. Those are the things that we advocate for. So that, that those are the things that we, we want to expand. For instance, uh, I went to Brooklyn Tech uh, Technical High School in the 80s, it was majority 50% black and Hispanic. And they all the students had to take a single test to get in. It was merit-based. But back then, we had accelerated programs, gifted programs, almost in all, every school in, in the city. Yeah. But their extreme education extremists took over the education policy and closed these programs down. The feeder schools that enabled thousands of black and Hispanics to go to the largest high school, a STEM high school, in, your, in the country uh, disappeared. Uh, now it's, you know, a fraction of, you know, 6 and 7% black and Hispanic students at, at Brooklyn Tech. The education extremists who, are, who support affirmative action were the ones who began that trend, the nasty trend uh, uh, that destroyed opportunities for uh, black and Hispanic students. Uh, and we call upon those programs to be restored. Uh -huh. And so that we have students who are highly capable, have the opportunity to get the best education that's offered in the city, or in all the universities um, across the country. Hey, Chen, uh, how old are your kids? Uh, one is 11 and one is 15. And um, tell me about their study habits, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, they, they, they got in, they were lucky, but they got into a gifted, talented program in New York City. And uh, we focus on education, but my children have a lot of activities. You know, my son plays high-level soccer, and my daughter is into, was into gymnastics, now she's doing jujitsu. She's into art and, and cooking. She's, doing, she's making macarons right now as I speak. Yeah. So we have a lot of activities that we're able to provide for them. 
But education is at the center of where we focus. Whatever they do, they have to do well in school, and their, their grades reflect that. But now, let's say in, in New York City, they're using lotteries for middle school admissions. Oh, the lottery. To try to, to, yeah, to yep. have the racial balancing of the schools because a lot of Asians, you know, happen to have a certain, you know, uh, you know practice in, in education and, and, and studying. Uh, and then they get into the schools that are very competitive. Uh, but, you know, the, the people like, you know, Mayor uh, de Blasio really oh. uh, attacked the Asians. And, they you know, basically the premise was that there are too many Asians in the top schools. Mm. The specialized high schools, uh, which are now 70 percent, you know, like they told you, the, the history of it, they destroyed the uh, academic opportunities uh, across the city. Uh, and then when the Asians uh, also immigrated to America, you know, they, they with certain study habits and, and values, they started doing well, then it becomes, you know, uh, a majority Asian, and, but the Asians are now going to have to take the brunt of the Chen, policy. Um, forgive yeah. me, Chen, I have, yeah. we, have, we have to wrap up. Uh, okay, sure. Continued success, and uh, you're you. doing important work uh, with your kids, obviously, and at PLACE, Parent Leaders for Accelerated Curriculum and Education. Thank you very much. Good luck to Thank your you, children. Okay. We'll be right back. Thank you. All right, silliest guy in the world, Mayor Adams. You can kind of tell by the way he dresses. Anybody who's that into his clothes uh, just might have a screw loose, okay? Just might, just might. He's incompetent. He's narcissistic. He actually didn't even live in New York when he was elected mayor. He was living in New Jersey. Crazy. Um, People are really seeing who this guy is. Look. When you live in New York, you're allowed to complain about the rent, okay? We have rent stabilization, and it goes up periodically, and he could do something about it. He let the rates go up. People are upset. And a woman was giving him a piece of her mind at a recent community meeting. His reaction is ludicrous, but he really said it. They have a 0% rent increase. Why in New York City, where the real estate is Okay, first, if you're going to ask a question, don't point at me and don't be disrespectful to me. I'm the mayor of this city and treat me with the respect that which I deserve to be treated. I'm speaking to you as an adult. Don't stand in front like you treated someone that's on the plantation that you own. Give me the respect I deserve and engage in a conversation up here in Washington Heights. Treat me with the same level of respect I treat you. So don't be pointing at me. Don't be disrespectful to me. Speak with me as an adult because I'm a grown man. I walked into this room as a grown man, and I'm going to walk out of this room as a grown man. I answered your question. Yeah, he may be 60-something years old, but he has the mind and mentality of uh, a teenager, a petulant teenager. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, also seems to think he's, he's a teenager who is somehow king, emperor of the city. A plantation that you own. He was speaking to an 84-year-old woman, Janine uh, Dubnow. She's been a uh, rent advocate, uh, rent rights advocate since the 1960s. She's an assistant professor. And yeah, she's pointing because he's like a half mile away on that great big stage with 30 people. He's in the middle. You're allowed to do this in America for the time being, right? Incredible. Good for her. We'll be seeing her here at Newsmax very shortly. Um, It's fascinating. Eric Adams can't handle issues like this, which he's supposed to handle, 
but he's talking about this kind of stuff, which he has no business really being involved in. We are proud today to announce New York City schools will soon be required to facilitate two to five minutes of mindful breathing practices in the classroom every day. Two to five minutes. Think about that. It is going to give them a tool that they can use for the rest of their lives. And the simplicity of it is just breathing. <laughs> it's, it's called breath work. We have never been taught how to breathe. Wow. So uh, a lot of kids can't read. A lot of kids can't do math, but they're going to get lessons in breathing required. He said it's required. This is unnecessary. You know, by the way, it has certain religious overtones that some people are uncomfortable with. This is what we got in the world's so-called greatest city, America's biggest city. We've got problems and we'll be right back. You know, everybody's reporting the same stories, the same spin. You turn the channel, it's always the same. But not us, we're different. We report the real news, no spin, just the facts. Turn to us and you won't turn back. Tune in to Rob Schmidt tonight on Newsmax. Maybe Joe's on to something. As soon as you're done with a TV appearance, just get up and, and walk out, okay? Yeah, so long, I'm out of here. Uh, why wait for the commercial break, okay? Take me, for instance, all right? Why do that phony thing? You know when the, the news guy does that thing with the papers? It's phony for the most part. So I'm done. I'm just going to walk out. Thank you, uh, President Biden, and I will see you tomorrow.